What's happening, guys? Happy Friday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. You know, at the end of the show today, I'm going to rant about something that recently happened to Uncle Chael. But before that special treat, I'm going to talk to you about UFC 281 and its many storylines. Plus, I'll get to who the biggest winners and losers are coming out of UFC 280. All of that in a moment, but let's begin with this. The answers are in. Guys, I asked you a question yesterday, and I said, hey, who do you want to see Jake Paul fight next? And we had some discussion, right, this talk of Nate's going around, but then moreover it, I was highly curious and even asked you, is there anybody boxer? Anybody? Any weight class, you know, Jake's willing to play? Anybody that you can feasibly get in there from the boxing community? No. The answer to that was very clear, and it was no. The number one suggestion from the boxing side, was Mike Tyson. And I wouldn't disagree with you. I just would disagree that that's not the direction that they're going. I think that that idea, which seems viable to me, I don't think it's a terrible idea. I, But I do believe that they no longer believe in it. I believe they're shifting into a different direction. Bringing in a big star and bringing in somebody and putting him in there with Jake for whatever reason, and I will admit that it's a reason that I don't understand. Whatever that psychology is, I will admit I don't yet get it. But I believe that they believe we're done doing that. To stay on that thought for just a moment, in 1993, the octagon was set up for the very first time, and they were going to mix Martial arts, meaning you're going to bring in a martial art and you're going to put him against an opposing martial art. Up until that point, boxers fought boxers. Wrestlers wrestled other wrestlers. Karate went to a karate tournament where they took on other karate guys, right? I mean, we we understand it. Judo versus judo and taekwondo. I mean, I could keep saying this over and over. We understand that. We get that. We don't bring a baseball team to take on a football team and do it in basketball rules. We just don't do that. You don't do football. You find another football team. You do it under football rules. So it was, a, it was a pretty clever idea, at least for me. Like, that actually was very fascinating. I have actually wondered what would happen with a black belt in karate versus a boxer. That, that's interesting to me. Now, moreover than that, they also thought that they, they had identified their market, which is going to be absolutely every martial artist alive. If you put a karate guy in there, right? And we do something similar to this now, right? If, you, if you're putting on a, a fight in Bellevue, you go get a fighter from Bellevue and you put him on the card. So we think, well, if we want the karate movie, uh, the karate market, go get a karate guy. Oh, we hear that there's an Aikido market. Go get an Aikido guy. All of them will come. They'll all come and they'll cheer and they're back their guy and there'll be no hard feelings when it's over. You know, he went out there and uh, he gave it his best effort. I got another guy. I think he could do a little bit better. Like it was going to be this kind of a feel. And that is pretty common in sport. I know some sports, I've seen them, I've been part of them. One side or the other, coaching, fan, participant. 
And when it doesn't go your way, when you have an outcome, I cannot tell you a time in my life that that team then took their ball and went home. I've seen that passion. I've seen it get tested. I've seen them walk out there, shake hands. And six minutes later, there is a winner and there is a loser. That loser used that as motivation. That team and his supporters came to the next one. They didn't turn on him. That's very common in sports. So this was the idea, right? This was the belief. But it ended up backfiring to the extent where karate was telling its students, do not watch this stuff. Now, in case you've heard that we got destroyed in there, just so you know, we were destroyed because we didn't use the techniques that we would actually use had our life been on the line because they're too dangerous. This is a sport. Taekwondo had to tell them the same thing, and Aikido and Kung Fu had to tell them the same thing, so the actual people don't watch. So the market that you ended up marketing to was not at all, I and mean, it's what became us. That might be a piece of why the boxing community is not coming together to watch these, to cover these, to back the guy. Now, Tyson and Jake, there's something there. I certainly don't dismiss that. You'd have to give that a real good look. I'm just making a prediction for you that the guys who are writing the checks are looking to go in a different direction. Now, of course there was plenty of Nate Diaz. Plenty of people I want to see Nate. But what was interesting is just as many people weighed in predicting it would be Nate and then saying that 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 didn't quite have their interest the way that it once did. Plenty of comments about Nate going with Floyd and Nate not being as attached to Jake. And if you look a little bit closer, I don't know that I'm convinced or that it has ever even been stated that Jake is fully boxing. I know when his brother Logan speaks about it, who has boxed, sometimes he talks about boxing, but sometimes he talks about MMA. So let me give you a scenario. right? I think that Jake's after something different, which with me, he has succeeded at, which is showing he's a tough guy. I'm there. I'm there to make it, the, to, to walk out there is a level of toughness. To succeed, of course, is a, a celebration of your toughness. To make it the distance. These are all different. If you do any one of those things, you go into a different category. He's done them all. With me, he succeeded. But I offer that that is his real motivation. I offer that because what if? I mean, let me just give you a scenario, all right? Press conference. Jake comes out, press conference, Nate comes out. Of course, this has been rumored. Of course, we've heard about it. It's the reason we showed up. We know that something's going on. We know that these two are paired. Chael comes out, takes to the microphone, tells you the weight class, tells you the date, tells you where tickets are on sale, tells you how this all began, gives you a quote or two from Team D as a quote or two from Paul, we play a package up on the screen of Nate coming to a Jake Paul fight and Jake coming after Nate. We get everybody all amped up and then Chael reveals to you, by the way, 
This is MMA. It would change things, wouldn't it? It would change things immensely, wouldn't it? I'm not certain that that is off the table. I think that things are really being looked at. I think that Jake, while deserving respect and accolades and and massive coverage by boxing, is after something a little bit different, which is just an acceptance, a point to be proven. And he's willing to risk himself and his body to do that, I think. And that's where the idea of MMA would need to be brought to the table. I mean, you got a market and you got a focus group. We got a guy, we're kind of looking at a date, maybe a location. Okay, we got an opponent. Like you start bringing these pieces together. What would happen if we did all of those things, but we changed the rules and it became MMA? If I told you Jake Paul and... Nate Diaz are next. All the rumors are true. By the way, they're going to do a co-promote. That organization you heard that Nate was getting attached to is going to do it with MVP. Like, I start giving you all the details, and then I make the reveal. And I know it will change things, guys. Sure it would. I do whatever I wanted with the rules. If I revealed that, we're we're, we're going to go out and play a game of one-on-one. I revealed that, and I make it clear it's going to be table tennis. Like, that's going to change, you know, right? The rules are going to matter. So what is your feeling, and why are we not moving in the direction of? Only reason we ever said those guys have to box is because Jake's been boxing. It's the only reason we've said that. There's no other confines. There's nothing else tying it, tying us to it. So what if we took some of these rumors? What if we took some of the pieces that we have? How would you feel? Would it change your anticipation? Would it change your desire to see it if we did it in MMA? Okay, guys, I want to bounce around a couple of the UFC's most interesting divisions. 135 pounds, 170 pounds, and the division that will be spotlighted next weekend, the middleweights. Are we ever going to forgive TJ Dillashaw, or are we going to hate him forever? I mean, is there a timeline? Like, like if we hate him, is there any buyout for him? Is it, is it a purgatory? Is there a penance that needs paid? Was the suspension not enough? was the ass-kicking he took from Aljo. The letdown, the disappointment, the training camp, the flight home, the embarrassment, if you will. The lack of pay, the where, where it moves you in the ring. Like, was that not, was that not a punishment? A college coach. That kid got a DUI. Big deal. Uh, coach didn't do anything to him. And I mean nothing. He didn't have to come in and clean the mats. He didn't have to go run stairs. He didn't miss a match, not according to the coach. And this got some real backlash. Hey, what are we doing? Hey, how'd this happen? Administration gets involved. Come to the coach. Hey, whoa. Did you know about this? Yeah, I knew about it. You didn't do anything? The coach defended himself. Coach said, I knew about it because it was in the paper. Everybody knows about it. 
was a humiliating shot. I know about it because now he rides a bike to get to practice, including in the rain, because he has no car. They took his license. Insurance canceled him. Mom and dad, furious. He has a girlfriend. He really likes her. He's in college days. He's got a little bit of a social life. He can no longer take her out. The ways that he gets to campus and gets to classes and then gets to the things that he needs done on a human level, from groceries to carpooling with friends, whatever it could be. But those things were all taken from him, including an embarrassment factor, including a whole bunch of money that it's going to go through the system. The coach said, yeah, I didn't do anything to him. Don't act as though nothing was done to him. And it was not the most popular point of view from the coach. It wasn't a point of view that other coaches adopted. But everybody understood it. How much flesh do you want? What will be enough? Why are we mad? T.J. Dillashaw loses to Aljo Sterling. He reveals that his shoulder was out. Now, why would he do that? Why would he reveal that his shoulder was out? I suppose there could be a number of motivations, including that was a really freaky thing. I mean, that could be somewhat gruesome. That could scare a viewer at home. Perhaps it was a little bit of a veiled message to let people know, hey, this is really common. I dealt with this many times in training camps, sometimes twice a day. To let people know, don't worry about me. I knew what I was getting into. I've dealt with this. That might have looked scary to some of you that are now worried about me. But I'm okay. I know how to get it in myself. I'm all right. Maybe maybe that had a little piece of it. Maybe. Most likely, a larger piece was an attempt to be self-serving and cover oneself and talk about, I didn't lose and he's not better at me in those positions and I don't have a deficit. I'm out here with one arm. As a matter of fact, preparing for this, I only had one arm. And look at me, I've got the courage to do it. Okay, would that be wrong though? Would it be wrong that he said that or would anything there that he said be wrong? Because let's look at the other side of it. TJ Dillashaw doesn't show up, but that's what this is about. Quite frankly, it's it's not about anything else other than who can beat who at a specific time. So the other option was that he pull out of the fight. And we would not have got back to that fight. There's not like a, another round of number one contenderships for 37-year-old TJ Dillashaw. This was the time. This was the opportunity. But that's also what this is about. I mean, you would be underserving Aljo. Aljo deserves to be recognized for what he is, which is the best fighter currently in the world. And if he's got world champions and top contenders that are floating around the bracket and come hook or crook, he couldn't get matched up with them. There's always going to be the talk. Well, he's not even the best. He's supposed to do this fight, but TJ was hurt. I mean, right in all fairness, that's the way that it goes. This sport is supposed to be played by the guys with the honor to play it this way on this day and time. I do not doubt in the least that you have injuries and ailments. I would expect you to have them. 
I don't know how you could go through this preparation at a proper training camp where you're being punched and kicked every single day while tired and many times malnourished and not have some owies. It's redundant and it doesn't need said. You bring your owies and I'll bring my owies and we're going to see on this date and then we're going to move on. So the other option was that TJ pull out. It was the only other option. And the belief that this should have been passed to somebody else. How much do you really believe that? And how accurate is that really? I watched Simone Biles take a spot and not use it that other people dreamed of and could have had. I watched that happen. I watched a nation attempt to defend it because it spoke to a strength of having the courage to give up. No one said a word. Oh, I tell you what, this was frowned on in the sports community. The gymnasts were discussed, but publicly, what courage. That's all that was said. Now, did TJ Dillashaw take a spot from somebody else? Because I continue to read these articles that he did, and maybe even according to TJ, who apologized to the division, did he take that spot, guys, or did he earn it? Was it his spot? What a gentleman in the Olympic Games, representing the United States of America, and he got hurt. This was one opportunity. And to be an Olympian, right, I know that we hear about the gold medal and all, all, all of these wonder things, but if you can have on your resume, if it's part of your past that you were an Olympian, and there's only one way to be an Olympian, you got to enter the Olympics. So this guy who had dedicated his life and went through the process and won and is our representative got hurt. Was it honorable and was it the right thing to do to pass that to somebody else? A rival who's been trying to stop him, who tried to take all of my dreams, didn't succeed because I was better. I'm going to give it to him so now he gets to be an Olympian, which he'll never add. I didn't make the Olympic team, but I was the Olympian. It was given to me by a spot, right? I mean, this is going to be like the most selfless thing ever. You're going to hand something that you earned. And I would just ask when you're judging TJ, what have you done that? And I'll tell you right now, and I don't get known as a selfish guy. I get a lot of comment and generosity and some things like this. Said, If I've got the Olympic spot and the Olympics are right around the corner and I'm hurt, I'm entering the Olympics. If I know full well I am hurt bad enough, it is going to stop my performance. I am entering the Olympics. It's my spot. It's my experience. I earned it the hard way and nobody helped me. Do you really think that TJ should have just passed that to somebody else? And who is that somebody else? Who is this make-believe guy that floats around our sport that would have flown out to Abu Dhabi and taken Aljo on short notice? That guy doesn't exist. Nobody would have done that. Should we grab somebody that was already there, somebody with some courage like Sugar Sean or Peter Yawn and move them up? I mean, I understand that there's things that you could do. You don't have to prove to me that somebody would have been willing to do that to change what I'm asking you, which is, would have you forfeited an opportunity that you earned? They didn't give it to you. You earned it the hard way. Or would have you gone out there and seen an honor of doing your best no matter what the circumstance? 
One arm or two arms. I've known about this. I plan for it. I trust in my train. I trust in my coaches. And believe it or not, I have a plan even when I've got one arm. Guy sounds pretty tough to me. Junior Nationals. I was a wrestler growing up, guys. It was it was the biggest tournament that we got to go to. You'd get ready for an entire year in state delegations and people raise money. I mean, this was a big deal. Training camps, the whole bit, we get out there. Young man from Oregon, 1995, 154 pounds. Isaac Wood, rest his soul. Isaac Wood makes it to the finals. He defeats, in fact, he pins California's Ed Mosley. Ed Mosley did not get up after he was pinned. There's a whole bunch of matches that night. There was a whole bunch of great wrestlers that night. Ed Mosley did not get up after he was defeated. He stayed on the mat. He wasn't hurt. He was broken. He was frustrated. He was sad. Whatever his emotion was. The visual is Isaac Wood winning. Isaac Wood standing up, returning to center circle. And his opponent, the second best guy in the country, is so defeated he cannot rise to his feet. When that night ended, time to give out the most coveted award. Outstanding wrestler, and I went to Isaac Wood. Now, I spoke to Roy Pittman, the famed coach, and Roy Pittman said, yes, of course, they gave it to Isaac Wood because his opponent stayed down. That was interesting to me. I was 17 years old. What do you mean? How did his match become better? How does he look better than other national champions? Because of something his opponent did after the contest was done. I thought on it. I really thought on it. So I asked some other coaches. I took Coach Pittman's idea and I kind of shopped it around. From a psychological standpoint, is that accurate? Yeah, they all said yeah. Apparently there's a voting process. They all voted for Isaac and they voted for him because his opponent stayed down. That visual is, is tremendous. Now, I share that story with you. We had a whole bunch of guys fight at UFC 280. We had world champions fight at UFC 280. It's just a great card. Can we agree? Now, if you want to know whose stock rises the most, and that's a conversation. I, I, I've heard announcers and reporters talk about that after any sports week, but I've heard is that whose stock rides the most. I think it's actually a fair question, and I enjoy looking into it, but it's not an opinion. There's an actual formula where you can prove it. The one who won in the guy that got the most money and in the guy that got the loudest cheers that night, the guy who won is whoever 10 days later got the most headlines about his win. That's the winner. We had champions that night who have not spoken since. Just to put a perspective for you. We had 11 fights that night. What I believe was maybe the best card ever. And I know a lot of other people have said that. And I admit I got a, a real short memory. But as far as, man, I was looking forward to that. I was looking at that for, for three months. I looked forward to that. We had 11 guys fight, which means we got 11 incredible winners. Incredible winners that this is the greatest card ever. Some of them have not said a word. Most of them would not have gotten talked about anyway.
There's only so much air in the room. There's only so many headlines. Make sure that you understand that concept. You are competing against the other guys for those headlines. You're competing against them. It's very hard to have multiple stars at a time. You're not gonna have you're not gonna have multiple stars when The Rock and Stone Cold are both booked. You're not gonna have because these guys are sucking all the air out of the room. They're taking all the print, they're taking all the camera time, they're taking all the questions. There's not another guy that can get through. Of course, there's other stars that can do houses. Of course, there's guys that can headline record numbers at WrestleMania. Under contract right then, all they have to do to become a star is get The Rock to not show up. Now, all of a sudden, they can get an opportunity. It's exactly what happened. We see that in MMA. I can't tell you how many times Dana White has been asked when one of his top performers retires, what are you going to do now? And Dana's never answered. We say, we'll, we'll figure it out. He's never answered, but that's the answer. I just handed it to you. I've got the stars. I've got them right now. I couldn't get them the exposure and the attention because this star had the spot. Very relevant. You understand this concept. You want to know who got the, who stock went up the most. You want to know who got the most bang. Sean O'Malley. Now, why? What was so neat about it? Was it the controversy? Was it that he beat a former champion? Was it the split decision? Was it the hairdo? What was it? What was it? Was it the post-fight interview? Was it the walkout? Was it the music? I mean, there was only so many things that happened. What part of it was so damn good? Well, much like Isaac Wood being the champion because his opponent stayed down. That is a visual component that creates an emotion that has stayed with us. I just cited a match for you, including a weight class, including the arena it was held in, including the two participants from 1995. I just did it off the top of my head. So that must have been a pretty powerful thing. Why is Sean the one in all the headlines? Why is he still doing interviews today about something that happened weeks ago? It's not his time. His time is done. It is now UFC 281's time. Why is Sean... Still getting interviews because his opponent stayed down. Peter Yawn elected to deal with this and handle this by fainting that he is not going to return to the sport. Daniel Cormier came out and told the world that. Yawn had sent out a tweet. But Cormier went and kind of looked into it with some of Jan's people, and that was the word, and Daniel Cormier brought it to us. Now, rule in politics, if anybody ever gets it wrong about you, you come out and correct it. If you don't correct it, we will all assume it's true. This is what happened. Nobody corrected it. And I think Jan was getting a little tension. He was getting a little bit of rub for that. Hey, man, you got screwed, right? Getting some Twitter people. They can't control the contract, the rankings, or his paycheck, telling him what he wanted to hear. Jan is not totally wrong in this situation. I mean, in all fairness, right, Jan's got a way to handle it. There's only so many things he can do. Try to get a rematch, try to prove, uh, move on, cry about it, act like I'm taking my ball and going home. I mean, Jan made his move. I'm not giving Jan a hard time, but I also don't give Ed Mosley a hard time for staying down after he got his heart broken in Fargo, North Dakota by Isaac Wood because he got pinned. I'm not speaking about Ed Mosley, and I'm not speaking about Jan. I'm telling you why Isaac got the award, and I'm telling you why Sean is getting the interviews. Imagine a different scenario, if you will. Yon comes out and says it's not true. I beat him. This is fiction. Hell, Charles Oliveira told you two months ago we can't come out here and trust these judges. Turns out Charles was right, 
And you want to know who else agrees with me? Is Sean O'Malley by his own admittance. Go watch his post-fight. Imagine that he did that. We're in a very different situation, right? We got a real problem. We have a real problem because we were told the winner of that match was going to go on and fight for a world championship. But all of a sudden, what's a bigger deal? Controversy. Controversy creates cash. And it would be a real problem. If Jan started coming and he started coming in thick, he started bringing it. He's not going to call the judges cheaters. He's going to cite the time that Charles Oliveira said that the judges are incompetent. He's going to ask the world that just watched. He's going to demand a rematch. Now, he might get it and he might not. But boy, there's going to be a strong compulsion to do just that. He's going to put Sean in a real hard spot. Not to mention Sean's a sportsman. Whether you know it or not, if Jan would have made the move for the rematch, Sean would have flinched. Just so you understand. He didn't make the move. Much like Ed Mosley, he stayed down. Your argument is gone when you stay down. Ed Mosley did nothing wrong, and neither, neither did John. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about their move. I'm talking about their move propelling their opponent, and this is why. There is no argument by Sugar Sean right now. There is never an argument or a debate or going back and trying to rehash something when the other guy doesn't ask you to do it. Moreover, he doesn't want to rematch. Moreover, he has removed himself. He's not even here anymore. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who was better between John Jones and Daniel Cormier when John Jones was on suspension and couldn't get light. It's Daniel Cormier. Just sharing for you, when one guy moves and one guy steps aside, the other guy rises to a level that he wouldn't have risen to. You're seeing a, a massive psychological effect here. It's very interesting. And I'll tell you one final thing about Sean. Oddly, or at least surprisingly, Cheeto Vera, his greatest nemesis, Sean's here, his greatest rival, Sean's here. Cheeto Vera, on two separate occasions, came out and he backed Sean. He went as far as to say, Sean should fight for the title next. He just beat the former champion. He just beat the number one guy. He's now number one. He should fight for the belt. That was interesting. Because Cheeto Vera wants it. He's not scared. He's also not being nice. Cheeto Fighter's just gone through two world champions. Been scratching and clumping. That's what he did. It was a massive sign of sportsmanship. It was a surprise to me. It wasn't how I thought he would handle it. And guess how Sean is repaying that? I told you he's a sportsman. Guess how he's repaying Cheeto's high praise? He just said that he's willing to fight Cheeto for that number one contendership. Now, what a difference a day makes. What a difference approach makes. You want to know whose stock rides the most? Come on, don't be serious. Sean O'Malley. Robert Whitaker, for reasons that I don't fully understand, was asked to talk about a rumored matchup of Chemayev versus Colby. Now, as close as I can see with Whitaker... As it pertains to Chemayev, there was talk of Chemayev going up to 185 pounds, basically because he had missed 170 pounds, and maybe even being matched up with Whitaker. Like, this dialogue came along real fast, and Chemayev said, you know what, I actually like to train with him. They then made contact publicly. I don't know if this is private, they're actually getting on planes, but publicly, they decided they'd like to train together. 
All is well and off you go. Well, the next thing I know, Whitaker's talking about Shemaev. I think that's the tie-in. Now, Robert Whitaker has earned the right to his opinion. I would not hear something from Whitaker and then come out and attempt to talk. Oh, what's, he, what's this guy talking about? Hey, he's a great technician. Not only an incredible fighter, he's a great technician. And I never, I never feel like he's fully recognized for that. He's got some good strength. He's got good athleticism. That is a technician at work. Robert Whitaker sits on the same page as Demetrius Johnson. Before you tell me he's not as dynamic, you want to talk about technique and understanding the sport. Now, I only say that because I won't disagree. Here's what he said. He said that's a terrible matchup for Colby Covington. And then he broke down why. He talked about they're both wrestlers being Colby and Chemaev, but he talked about Chemaev's got the striking, and that's not something that Colby does, not naturally. It's not natural for him. Now, I was disappointed. I was disappointed. I know we have guys in the sport who will avoid people. They will avoid them for whatever reason. I know we have that all over the place. I didn't know we had that with a lot of champions. I didn't know our top guys. Robert Whitaker just might be the greatest middleweight ever. I mean, he really might be. You go take him on his top nights. You go take him the nights that he's stuffing Yo Romero's shots for 10 rounds. And you tell me somebody else that you're confident could beat him. He might be the best. And I didn't know guys like that ducked, right? I mean, if I'm ever giving you my opinion of somebody else, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, I'm revealing what I would do. I'm revealing who I am. I don't like I was disappointed. I don't like it. And I'll tell you another guy that doesn't like it is Colby Covington. Colby happens to be ranked, just to, just to set this record straight about this terrible match, Okay, he happens to be ranked number one in the world. He happens to be the interim champion who never lost, but they took his belt away. He happens to be a guy who beat the reigning BMF and they never made him the BMF. But all the while, he remains the top contender and he remains the top ranked guy. And I will just share with you, I've known Colby since he was a little boy. Grew up right up the road here in Oregon. And if he did not think he could beat a guy, it would have nothing to do with him agreeing to fight the guy. Now, I thought this was where all the top guys were. I thought that duck and dodge and play the chess and get out of stuff and use the barography. I thought that was for the lower guys. I, I thought that was for the undercard guys. I thought guy's got to be taught in the locker room. That's how we do this over here. You're not good enough to hold your number one ranking. You shouldn't have it. That's what I thought. I was disappointed by the comment. Now, where's he getting off? I mean, is he is is Whitaker saying that because that's his guy? He made friendly with Chemaev. Is that what this is? Because I'll respect that. I'll respect it, but I would appreciate knowing that. When somebody of Robert Whitaker's caliber speaks up on a fight, I want to be able to listen. But if he's just serving and giving a nod to Chemaev, I could really use that because what is it that Whitaker has seen from Chemaev? And he, and he used the separation as the stand-up. This is what he talked about. Colby's not a natural striker. Apparently, Chemaev is. Now, I saw Chemaev throw one punch on RD3 and put him down. I saw him go fist to cuff with Gilbert Burns, who's tougher than hell, but I don't know that he was ever really known as the stand-up guy. I'm not really sure what piece of data Whitaker's going by. I watched Kamara Usman for two years not only be the world champion and not only be ranked number one pound for pound, for the first time ever, 
publicly being compared to surpassing George St. Pierre. That's what, that's what I saw. And then I saw Colby stand up with him for nine rounds. And of those nine rounds, Colby Covington won four. What piece of data are we using? Robbie Lawler is one of the most respected strikers in the sport, and he's got records for knockouts. By the way, I watched Colby stand with him and dominate him for 15 minutes. RDA is as rough as they come, and I watched Colby stand for every bit that he had to, and there's a lot of takedowns, I'll, I'll concede. But he wasn't taking him down because the strikes weren't going his way. He landed the strikes and then went to the takedown. I'm just telling you what happened. What piece of evidence are we using to say, one, that Colby's not a natural striker? That surprises me. He could not and did not take Kamara Usman down, who was the world champion, who was ranked number one above everybody. Shemaiah was eligible for that list. So was Whitaker, for that matter. And being compared to the greatest that the sport's ever had, the first one ever who was actually given George St. Pierre a run. Talking about going and fighting Canelo, and none of us, say, including Canelo, saying that would be an easy night because he can stand up and he can knock people out. We all know it. And Colby went out and won three rounds against in the stand. Where, 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 where did this come from that Colby can't stand up with Chamai? What is it that you've seen from Chamai within his standard that makes you think he's a natural? He may well be. I've heard the rumors and the reputations. I know how highly I think of Chamai. I'm asking, what, what is it you've seen? With what piece of evidence did Colby look like he was stumbling around on his feet and this wasn't natural for him? His hands are up, his chin is down, he's charging forward, he's bouncing, he's slipping, everything's in combination. What part of that appears to be a struggle? I'm asking the question. A statement was made, but now I'm asking a question. I would love a response. What if Alex Pierre wins? In fact, let me ask it a little bit different. If Alex Piera wins, does that mean he's a better fighter than Israel Adesanya? Now, don't smash this in my face and think that's redundant and obvious. If he fights him and he beats him in a fight, then yes, he's a better fighter. Oh, but hold on. There is a little bit more to this. And let me have you look at it from a uh, different perspective. We know that Adesanya can beat everybody else. I mean, if we go look at, we've already seen it, right? Been a pretty active guy, been around for a while. Not only winning fights, dominating fights, dominating decisions. I mean, he, he four rounds, very commonly. He'll win four rounds of a five-round fight. Very dominant guy, okay. But let's take that same field and let's apply it to Piera. Do you think that Piera could go through the field, even the exact same field? The, the schedule that, that Izzy's already kept, the record that Izzy already has, we'll just go grab those guys. Do you think that Pierre could take out Yoel Romero? Do you think that uh, Pierre could deal with Derek Brunson? Do you think that Pierre could beat Robert Whitaker? Oh, by the way, just in case he catches him, twice. Do you think he could do that twice? Now, that's a monumental... That's a monumental no from me. If you, Piera versus Whitaker, 
I'm going Whitaker. Now, before I go bet a whole bunch of money and really put, you know, put my money where my mouth is, before we do that, you then tell me, oh, by the way, Chael, for this bet, he's twice. I'm going to be very confident in telling you Robert Whitaker. Just my feeling. I mean, I would be very confident in Robert Whitaker. If he went out and he got caught somewhere right, I mean, it's a little dangerous, so I, I couldn't part with too much. But if you threw that caveat on there, I, I don't think so. I may not know enough about Piera to come to that conclusion. I'm just asking what you think, right? We can't prove it. It's just a feel inside. What do you think? So if Piera was to beat Adesanya, is it really a redundant question to ask, is Piera better than Adesanya? I have a feeling they're going to fight in one realm. And it's a realm they've already fought in. So if Piera can land that big shot or Izzy can move around, we know who won between them. Would we know who the better fighter is? We're not going to see the groundwork. We're not going to see other things. There's certain threats that nearly every opponent on that roster is going to bring. Whether they succeed or not, they're going to bring the tool with them. They're going to exhaust many different options that I think is very unlikely to see from Izzy and Pierre. I mean, I, I'm just locked, guys. I'm, I'm just locked and I can't even hear any different. That this is going to be a stand-up fight. They're going to go out the third time. Many people, hey, this is a first-time fight. New sport, new time, different experiences. This is all brand new. I don't tell you you're wrong. I just tell you, I really believe we're just going to see a stand-up fight. Now, that's a little bit naive of me, considering the last time that we had two great strikers fighting in a main event for a world championship was Surreal and Francis, and we, we saw the takedowns. So I'll fully admit that I, I don't know everything. I just see it this way, and I feel like one thing's going to be displayed, which is their stand-up abilities, which, by the way, they're both awesome at. But we're not going to see an all-around fight. And what would you think of that? If Piero was to grab the belt, what an incredible accomplishment. He would then be undefeated. People forget that Piero's never lost. Like, that's not, we don't really bang that drum, but because he only had five fights. And I understand that. I understand that's not a whole lot. But if those five fights included number one contenderships and led you to a main event at Madison Square Garden for the strap, I, you're undefeated. It's been done. And sure, we would have a whole dialogue. Well, who's going to be next? You know, who, who's the top guy in line? And how are we going to... I, I understand those things, but do you? are you confident that Piera would defend that belt? Are you confident he could do it mul uh, multiple times? Do you believe that Piera could go out there and beat Paulo Costa at all? I'm not saying he's going to do what Izzy did, which is to dominate him, never be touched, and finish the fight inside of two. Sam, do you think he could beat him? It's a very peculiar question. We haven't seen enough. And if you go back and you watch Piera's fights, okay? Now, again, there's only five of them. It's not going to take you very long to do. But if you do, you're going to believe that you also see the blueprint to beat him. You're going to see some guys whose wrestling and jujitsu accolades are not as shiny and bright as the top contenders. And you're going to see them have good moments. So you're going to think, well, you know, if you, I, I get a guy a little bit better at this and can get him down, I get a guy a little bit better than this and can score some points when he gets there. And I get a guy, I mean, that's the way that our minds work. However, I'll just remind you, that's also what we saw with Adesanya.
Adesanya's first fight in the UFC. Okay, there's the recipe. Well, his second opponent saw that, but couldn't enact it. The third opponent had the skills. This is going to be a problem. But we saw the growth of Izzy. Is there any reason we should believe that Pierre isn't also growing? Is there any reason that I should be telling you that this is a stand-up fight because it's all that they know? And even if I'm wrong, I'm right to say it. Because I'm using history as my trajectory and he's never attempted a takedown. Well, you know, it, it was five fights. What do I know about this guy? I watched Izzy grow in front of our eyes in rapid time. I mean, the story on him was take him down and keep him there. In his next fight, you could take him down. You couldn't keep him there. He didn't solve both problems, but he solved one of them, and he solved it completely. That's rare. That takes a really long time to do. But by his third fight, he then solved them both. You couldn't take him down. We saw that you couldn't keep him there. You go in to the Gatslam fight. That got tested to the point that at times he didn't stop it. He was dead and he got back up. One time he threw up a triangle and tried to submit him. I mean, it blew everybody's mind. Now that would be normal. Everything that Izzy did against Calvin Gaslam would be a normal fight that you would see from guys, but he used tools that we didn't know he had. That's what made it abnormal. That's what helped to add to it. It made it fight of the night. It made it fight of the year. Wasn't just that Izzy threw up a failed triangle attempt. It's that it's a kickboxer that doesn't know at all what he's doing on the ground. I mean, I know that for sure. 12 months ago, I saw him there and he was lost. Oh my goodness, this guy got better that quick. Is there a chance? I mean, is there a chance that Pierre is really working on a takedown? He's going to surprise him. I mean, this is a built-in overlap of my statement. The built-in overlap is that these guys as egos would not allow them to go out there and get a takedown. Now, that's something you say. That's something you bring to the crowd after it worked or after it didn't. Right? Like the loser would say, well, you know, I could have taken him down under the unamended rules. Of, of course, I have an advantage and I, I could, but that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to come test it right here. Right? We, we, we hear a lot of that. But it is very curious. It's not as though Pierre is not working on takedown. I've been in Glover's rooms, just by example. I've trained with Glover. I, I just tell you, they work on everything. They will go, oh, you're a great kickboxer, and let's just sharpen it. They'll work on everything. Is it something that he's confident enough that he wants to try? Where does that ego factor fit in? And with what would that prove? I mean, I, I know guys get things in their head all the time, but what would that prove? I stood with them. I didn't trade. You didn't follow the rules. You, you, you didn't do everything that you could do. The teacher said it was an open book test. You failed the test, but you think that I care that you never opened the book? That you tried a different parameter? That you somehow have the moral high ground because you only went off what's up here? It's strange. But what do you guys think? I, I do want to circle back just to one question. I love your comments. I, it's, it's very sincere when I ask you something. Adesanya has ran through the field, been a very busy guy, been around long enough, took on the right guys. When you go look at that field, you go look at those top talk names, you're going to see a lot of guys who have already fought Adesanya. Some of them twice. 
Do you think that Piera could do that? And even if you're somebody that believes Piera is going to win, do you think Piera can get through the guys? Do you think he could defend? Do you think he can hold on to that belt as long as Izzy has? Before my last topic for the day, a video of Francis Ngannou came across my feed earlier, and I gotta give you a few thoughts on it. Francis Ngannou, 293 pounds. Guys, what do you think of that? Anything? Uh, is there something there? I feel that there is. Something silly happened. I was it was like Wei Lee or somebody picked him up and then stated what he weighed, and it was 293, and I read that. that that's interesting to me. I take the Whaley, I'll take the lift, I'll take the wear, I take everything out of it that I think the story was meant to do. I'm just focused on this 293. Something about that's interesting to me and always has been. Patty the Batty, I didn't love the marketing angle of what he weighed and what his weight gets up to, but I will admit it was interesting. There was an interesting in the wrong way, right? I mean, there's some things that I, nerdy. Floyd Mayweather used to eat Big Macs, I mean, it was part of the TV show. I eat anything, I go through, and I still look like this. And he did. He gained absolutely no weight. He burned so many calories. Like, some about that was interesting. Michael Phelps, who quite frankly is a nerd, but he ate massive amounts of food. It was to the point that NBC grossly lied about how much. I mean, he was, it was. 14,000 calories a day, and they'd follow him around as a stack of pancakes in the morning, and he would swim a lap, and there'd be a Snickers on the other, and he'd pop up, and he'd smash the Snickers, and he'd chew as he was crawling back underwater. I mean, none of this is fiction. This is fiction, but that was interesting to me. Grab the Snickers, chew it under the water, gotta get those calories, because you're working so hard. Similar to a marathon that we all see on TV, where somebody's running, a guy hands him a banana, Kind of got to get it on the go. There's something interesting about that. In fact, when I watch a marathon and a guy grabs a banana, I find that to be interesting. Far more interesting than what his placement in the race is or what his average per mile is. Why is that? I don't know. I don't know. What do you deduce from weight? What do we get from this? Now, Francis at 293. Think of the pictures you saw of Connor, right? I mean, just to prove my point that we for some reason, are interested in what somebody else weighs. Then we got all sorts of theories on why Connor wins that. Some of them perverse. That he's doing something wrong. But boy, we talked about it, didn't we? There was something interesting that we wouldn't have discussed. We wouldn't have the ability to discuss it or even the interest had we not seen the photographs and known what he weighed. The John Jones experiment of leaving 205 Getting up to 240, I was very interested in. Even though that's done, he's there. He's made his weight. Even though that's done, I stayed every step of the way. When new pictures would come out on Instagram, not only what he weighed, but how he was getting there, showing some of the exercises with this in mind as a goal, it was interesting to me for whatever reason. With Francis, we do have... a. Uh, Story being told very clearly, which is he's not training. Very, very clearly. And that's relevant, right? When a guy's knee gets better, we may not know. We're not owed that. 
And you get in the gym and you start moving around a, a little bit, but you're not doing everything. You're not doing two workouts a day, just by example. And we're not really going to be brought up to speed on that. Like an injury report is something you, you, you keep a little bit private. And sometimes you got to put it out there. But that isn't every single detail. Hey, my, my bad knee going in for surgery out for a while, right? You got to put that out there. But the intricacies and the, and the finer points, you really don't have to. And if Francis's next match is coming up, and now we're told that it's kicked, kicked until March, that's a long time gone. Would you want to factor that in? Well, what's the guy been doing since he's been gone? That'd be very relevant. Guys in the gym every day working out. We know that he is not. Now, how would I know such a thing with, with 293? Well, I can actually tell you that. I actually have evidence, which is just when Francis has fought many times, he's weighed in at 260 pounds. So we know Francis is a big guy. But we also know being five and six pounds underweight means that you didn't pull weight, right? If you weighed in at 265, we never know what you really uh, weigh. We know you pulled that, but when you're five pounds on it, we know that's just what you weigh. You've got your body down, you worked out the way your physiology works. In this particular case, in shape, ready to go. Hit you right around that 260.293. 33 pounds over an ideal and normal competitive weight. We know that you aren't training as much. And I do think that that, I don't think that weighs on France. I mean, the poor guy had his leg hurt, right? No judgment here. Just sharing a little info that we can get. Possibly one of the reasons we find it interesting when we find out what guys weigh. Possibly. Because we deduce and we defer certain things from that. Steven's out for a very meaningful amount of time. We're told that he gained 20 pounds. You were actually told that by me. I'm the one that came out and told you that's interesting. Steven didn't do anything with it. Steven did not put that there. He did not do that in front of the world. But I think if we did document that, at least to some degree, I think that you guys would think that that is very compelling. Steven was the best in the world, which he proved at 231. He puts on 20 pounds. Oh, and by the way, it's the right way. That is an interesting proposition. That would also tell us what he's been doing since he's been out. Right? Francis, Francis gained weight, so we knew he wasn't trained, but Stipe gained weight while still staying under the limit. It tells us a totally different story. And we're going to have to start to guess and deduce these things. John Jones has been out for three years. Stipe has been out a meaningful uh, amount of time. Francis has been out by the time this fight kicks off almost a year himself. It's a long time for anybody. So then we got to start to do, well, what were those guys doing while they were out? Being out because of a contract dispute, even being out because of a suspension, would still lead to very different daily activities than being out with an injury. What does a guy weigh? When does he get back? Somebody's out with an injury, what do they do? They get 10-week training camp? 10-week training camp isn't very long. If you've been sitting out for a year, if you've been out for four months, it's very appropriate. And all these things factor in, right? No massive judgment here. We, we think it's interesting when we know what people weigh. We think it's interesting for multiple reasons, including guessing what they're doing to get there. Francis, it's 293. Are you glad I told you that or not? To close out today's program, I want to tell you a story about a car dealership and how, wait for it, they didn't give me the service I was looking for. 
So guys, I get a car. Now, I'm a family guy now, right? I mean, you don't you don't get to like get the cars that your dream. It's one of these things. You're looking for different things. It wasn't at all what you grew up. Like zero to sixty is never going to cross your mind in comparison to safety measures. Do I have metal around me? Do all of the seat belts and the airbags function properly? It's, it's one of these things. But I was out in New York and. Uber situation. I got all the kids. The kids are comfortable. My wife and I, my wife says, hey, you got to get this car. We get home. We need to find a way to have a car like this. What a great family vehicle. She just makes the comments. So I come home and I do it. And, and cars have been very hard to find. Now I'm taking you back. This would have been November, November of last year. Very hard to find. In fact, when I did find this car, it was the only one on the lot. The salesperson without high pressure in sales me, let me know I'm paying full price and I'm doing it right now, or I'm not getting the car. And she kind of let me know that, hey, look, if you leave, the this car will not be back by the time you come in. As much as that sounds like pressure, I'm just taking you back to that time, whether you dealt with it as a consumer or you just heard about it in the news, it was real, right? The lots were just bare. Grab the car. It's the one that I wanted. Everything's fine. Didn't need, didn't need the sales pitch. And I love it. It's the Lincoln Navigator. Room for everybody. Room to put the, the bags in the back and have everybody be comfortable. That's rare. Come on, we've all piled into cars and there's barely enough room and you're sitting on each other's seats, right? I mean, it was re I just love the car. I got to tell you, I really like the car. I don't know if a time in my life I won't have this vehicle. That's how much I like it. Like I envision when I go to trade this in, that I trade it in for another one. But I'm not a car guy, right? I was in New York. It was an Uber. My wife made a comment. Off we go. Go have breakfast with a friend. My buddy Justin's a huge car guy. Like when we grew up, he had pictures of cars on his wall. So the Navigator that I purchased is something called a black label. I didn't know what that meant. All cars have a name, right? An S-Class, the, the Limited, the they all come with something. This one's black label and it's written on the floorboards of the car. Meant nothing to me. I think nothing about it. My buddy Justin says, no, whoa, hey, this is great. This is top of line for Lincoln and it comes with some really incredible things such as, and his father had one. His brother's in the business, but his father had purchased one. He said, Shale, when it's time to service the car, they will alert you to the app on your phone. A lot of cars are coming with apps now. Very, very helpful if you have one. I can start a car from inside my house through the app, just so you understand. Cold day or something like that in Oregon, ice on the windshield. I can start that car as I'm pouring coffee, go outside. Hey, it's ready to go. Helpful. That's amazing, right? We didn't grow up with anything like that. You get an alert to your phone when it's time to service the car. There's a computer that tracks your car at all times. It knows how much gas your car has. It knows if it needs air in the tires. Amazing. Okay. But with the black label that I've already paid for, when it's time to service, not only do they let you know as opposed to the other way around, they come to your house. They switch out. So no going to the dealership. But going to the dealership is a thing only because when you go in and, and you get it checked in, now how do you get home? So you can either wait there hours or you can get a ride home, but then you got to get back. It's just a thing, right? We can all understand that with this service that I had already purchased and wasn't even aware of, not only do they notify me, they come to my house, they leave me a loaner car. They take my car, they service it, they return, I give them their car back. That's pretty incredible. And I didn't even know that I had it. My buddy Justin's telling me about it. Okay, time comes. 
I get the alert. I contact the dealership. This is going to be great. Who doesn't love a loaner car? In all fairness, who doesn't love to be driving somebody else's vehicle? So they don't take the phone call. Okay. Don't think a lot of it, but this goes on for four days and multiple times per day. Now at this point, this, and this is my wife's vehicle, this is also Miss Brittany's task. She's handling this one for it. And when they don't call back, she finally tells, hey, you know what, this, it's been a number of days. I can't reach a human. And that's very unusual. Somebody will generally answer the phone over those places. They'll definitely return your call. Now, so I, I get in because I knew people over there. I knew people in the business. I have a relationship with the general manager for the sake of it. They won't call me back. Now, I haven't gone to these people. I'm just following the same number that she is. So I finally go to the gal who sold me the car. I sent her a text. Hey, do you happen to remember me? But here's what's happening. I can't get a live voice on the phone. She says, you know what? You came to the right person. Uh, I'm engaged to the head of the department. Let me give you his personal cell phone number. He will take care of this. All right. So... Now, anytime, and you guys will be able to relate to this for sure, the little guy takes on the big guy. Feelings can get hurt really fast, right? When little Chael, who's already paid for something to a multi-billion dollar company, that something needs to happen. So it's a whole nother level when you've already paid for it, you're a little guy and the big guy, it's a whole nother level when they won't even call you back. When you can't get a person to tell you, you've already paid for that, which means we have no incentive to do it. You're responsible for getting this done or void your warranty. So the onus is completely on you. So we really don't, we really don't think that you're going to do anything other than find a way, service that car properly. But when you, when, when you find this out, that's frustrating. Little guy versus big guy, just a sensitive thing. When you've already paid for something and you had trust and it's violated, you find out it's no good. They're going to keep your money, but what they set right on the bargain, you get, you get bothered very fast. Now, I am not going to come to you guys and disparage them, but the reason I, I'm not going to do that is the human element, right? These are good people. You learn a skill in the auto business and you show up and you put your time in every single day, whether it's raining or shining. I mean, it's not as though they're not calling me back because they got their feet up. They're working. They're working and they just haven't had time to re return the call. I have to appreciate that. So I'm not going to go to the general manager. I'm not going to come to you guys and disparage them. I will just share with you this frustration because I finally do break through. So when I finally do break through, hey, listen, COVID. We all got hit, but we're back now. We're a little backed up, but here we are. I accept that. I accept the whole thing, and I'm glad that we're talking, and I think it was a superstar move of Ash to even give me a private cell phone, and then for this gentleman to start contacting me through his private cell phone, right? I mean, that's probably a little bit annoying for him, but he did it, and off we go, so I'm all set up. This thing's handled. Now, an unforeseen problem to this wonderful treatment of Black Label is you got to be around. If you go drop the car, sure, you got to figure out how to get home. You got to figure out how to get back to it. That's true. But now you've got a little bit of that in reverse. What time are they coming by? 
and they're not going to come until they reach you first. So make sure you have your phone on and answer a call, even if it's an unknown or block number, and then wait around at home. Make sure you can make the trade-off. Same thing's going to happen when they're bringing it back. You're going to have to answer that phone. You have to coordinate a time. Then you're going to have to be there to make the handoff. All right. That was last week. They didn't come. I, I, find, I get the whole thing set up. Nobody comes. So go back in by text. And real, real nice. None of, the, none, none of what you think might happen from a customer. And I will, I will tell you, that does take control. That is a frustrating spot, right? Little guy versus big guy. Already paid expecting a bargain, not getting it from the multi-billion dollar corporation. It's, it's going to hurt your feelings fast, whether you want to admit it or not. But I, calm. Because I do understand they're working. They're hustling. They're trying to get things done. They're backed up for whatever reason. Rescheduled. Rescheduled with them for today. I was late to get to you guys. That call that was supposed to come at 9 to confirm I was home to pick up a vehicle at 10 never came. I still have the vehicle, except guess what? I now have a stronger alert to my app. It's using exclamation, but truly, an automated message is now, it's got exclamation points. Must, I think the word you urgent was in there. I could be adding that to the story, but it made it very strong and very clear. Do not drive that vehicle. We've warned you and warned you. You are now at a point, they give me a diagram, and it's less than 5%. I have less than 5% oil. I don't know what that means. Is that 1%? I don't know. Is the best that they could do is less than? Well, now you've got, you've got a real problem on your hands. E- even if you think from a legality standpoint, you're in the right and you've got documentation and you can prove this. Do you want to go through that? Do you, do you want to not have a vehicle? Do you want to have to find a way to cover a vehicle so that your family can get to point A to point B while you go through some kind of a legal process to deal with a multi-billion dollar company who's already made it clear we do not care? It's a tough spot. So what do I do? Of course, I've, I've got the vehicle now. Coming in to talk to you guys, but then I've got to go down. I've got to get it serviced somewhere else. That one doesn't come with the service I've already paid for, so I will be standing there and waiting. That's okay. But this is going to get done. Not mad, not, not mad at any person. And one thing nobody's ever thought of in the car business, it's never crossed anyone's mind, and if it has, they decided against it because it's never been enacted, to be straight. It's never crossed anyone's mind. Word of mouth would go around so fast. If you were the only straight car guy, you would be the only straight dealership. So I got a black label. I love the car. It's out of oil. Already paid for a service. But when I leave here, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna go pay for a different service. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And if you want to support the show, leave me a review over on Apple Podcasts, like the one I just got from John, which says, love this podcast. Probably my big fan, John Cena. Well, thank you for that. And come back for more on Tuesday. Guys, enjoy your weekend. I'm Jail Sonnen, and you are welcome. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. 
Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.